White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Ralph Lifshit. Said it right that time. I'm here, as always, with my main man, my partner in crime, Lance. What's hey, hey. going on, brother? Nothing it's been much. a big week. It's been the a really second big time week. we've talked this week. I know. Yeah, we did that. We did the uh, the post draft show with Andy over on the Fantrax Network. If you haven't checked that out, that's on YouTube and Periscope, Periscope, however you want to say it. Um, that was fun. That was really cool. It was the night of the draft. We went through a bunch of guys. What happened? We were, I think, breaking some picks as they went. I know. I think the comp round or went into round two as we were talking. So that was a lot of fun. It was nice to kind of catch up and do some stuff very opportune to the draft. I know there's probably a little a lot of other outlets doing their own things in terms of live chatting and stuff, but I thought that ours went really well. So uh, that was fun, man. But the draft as a whole, what'd you think? I, I was pretty, I was pretty happy with how everything rolled out. I feel like it was pretty chalky to start, and then you know you get some odd picks, of course, as it goes through. But I feel like this one was, this one was pretty solid. I think there's a lot of college guys taken early, and that it probably helped a little bit with the name recognition, and also maybe it helps in terms of um, viewers longer term and people getting interested in guys like Bart because they know right. it's not going to be a five year project. It's more of like a year and a half, two year project. So I think that helps honestly getting more people involved with the draft too because I know that was something I saw some overnight ratings in terms of how it did, and it was the most obviously album networks ever done on it still wasn't too high but you know there's been a lot of drum now around you know what to do to change the draft and make it more interesting more appealing to people so this is our space so i'm, I'm really happy to hope that there's some changes in the in the near future to kind of get more people interested in it 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the big things that I like about this is how quickly the draft seems to move. Like the picks are in oh, within quick, a few yeah. minutes. You know, it has a nice flow. You can get through like, you know, around to, a, you know, even two within a few hours. And it just and now I know I'm not a huge NFL fan, but you know I'm, I like the NFL. I followed it. I've been jacked up for the draft. It's probably been 10 years since I was really into the NFL draft. But I feel like it flows a lot better. At times, the NFL draft feels tedious to me. I don't know if maybe sure. it's, it's more televised or whatever. And they, they just know they have a, the market. But it, I never thought it, it flowed as well. This this seemed to flow pretty well. It was actually fun to watch. I had a blast doing the uh, baseball show cross uh, yeah, CBS uh, baseball yeah. scouting network. So, yeah, it was it was really cool to be able to sort of, you know, bring the two worlds together, have Andy sort of host and just sort of kick it out to us and and answer, you know, a lot of questions live on the spot about some of these prospects and, you know, fantasy wise, real life wise, and, and just get some different takes and, uh, have some different opinions. And I know obviously those guys, you know, that you work with there, you know, uh, uh, Justin and, and Jonathan, correct? Or was it rich? Rich, rich, rich. Yeah, I'm a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Richard. I hope everyone picked up that pun, right? I'm a dick, Richard. No, okay. Yeah, anyway, I get it. But, get uh, it. but, and, but those, those guys really know their stuff. I know you're doing a, a podcast with Richard now too, which yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to tweeting out. So like I said, send that over to me so of I can, course, I can dig into that too. Cause I know you guys do some great Spot work, especially in the mechanic side. And yeah. uh, you're very technical, you know, a little yeah. bit less of a fantasy, uh, know nothing like myself, but <laughs> Dude, either, on, either way, <laughs> I think you're spot on with the, uh, the college, you know, players in the top five. I think that helps a lot. People know Mize, Bart, uh, Bohm, you know, Mandrigal mm-hmm. and in India, some of them obviously are involved with big programs that are in the college, uh, world series, yep. the regionals that were going on over the weekend. Uh, and then you sort of got some of the other, you know, interesting names in terms of uh prep guys a couple of you know interesting guys sprinkled in there maybe a biggest shock of the night kyler murray who i think we'll talk about in yeah a little we'll bit. definitely get into that um but you know kalenic i think people know kalenic i'm i felt like mets fans were kind of excited about that pick because yeah, he's kind yeah. of like the top prep bat, and i think they should be um i know there's some folks that were sort of uh knocking kalenic for being drafted by the mets but going <laughs> is, back come on <laughs> but going back i gotta say they haven't They've ha- they've mishandled everyone in the major league level, the injuries, all that sort of stuff. Whether it's real or imagined, certainly has been a string of bad luck. Obviously, there's some other you know they've been weird about how they broke stuff. It's also the New York market. I think you know they're under a microscope. They're not the Yankees, and that's not to say that they're not misrun. Okay, I'm not a huge Mets fan, so I'm not gonna pass judgment on that. I trust you guys. They're misrun, but. They've done a pretty good job of drafting players and developing them. I mean, sure. think about all the homegrown guys that have come up on that team over the last, you know, six, seven years. I mean, even a guy like Nimmo now, first who's of, almost of impact bat, must start on Nimmo. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah, Michael Conforto, Conforto and I know too, you know, yeah. you know, Mike from uh, the Ras Thirty, who you know, I we always have for some really you know interesting conversations. He's a really smart guy, knows his prospects, knows his stuff. Was sort of saying, well, I hated the way that they handled Conforto. I'm like, once again, it was the major league level. Like, you know, it's weird. Even yeah. even a, a Med Rosario, you can say what you want, but I mean, he was hitting like 340 in the PCL. Like, well, what did you want him to hit 380? Like, well, like. What was that going to prove? At that point, the guys need to be tested. I haven't had an issue with Rosario. It's just maybe his bat impact wasn't as great as we thought, especially initially on landing. And sometimes it takes a few guys for these years for these guys to work up. Look at a, a guy who was less hyped, I think, in terms of his offensive upside 
Angleton Simmons has really settled and is a pretty nice sure, offensive sure. player, especially if you play in points leagues. He's a really good shortstop. He's a top 10 shortstop in points leagues, I'm pretty sure, um, and consistently good. But I kind of got off off track here with uh, with all my thoughts. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. We're going to talk a little bit more about the draft tonight. We have the 5x5 five five coming up. Um, anything else you sort of wanted to touch on from the draft or – I don't know anything that's gone on in the last couple of days. Any interesting dynasty trades or I've been actually one actually. Yeah, I've been actually Raz thirty. I was actually trying to target a guy who I think I talked about a while ago that I've always had kicking the back of my head. He's a coming off Tommy John guy in the A system, Dalton Jeffries. A little bit weird, just kind of like one of those random guys that I think I wanted to try to pick up in Raz thirty. So I was thinking to shoot. I think Kenny has him actually. So I was gonna shout out the Rotoware. Gonna shoot out probably an offer to him sometime, but. Um, Dalton Jeffries, obviously we had Vlad hit the DL with a leg problem. We were actually just watching the video before we hopped on this pod, actually, and started recording. It looks like he slid into second base and then immediately started rolling his hand for the trainer to come out, which is odd because it didn't seem like that aggressive of a slide. It was like a throw into second base on a double, but it was more like just a standard pop slide where you just get up quick. You see guys do it all the time. It seemed very routine. I don't know exactly what the issue is. It doesn't seem like there's too much disclosed information on either, which I don't really like, but I don't think you could kind of draw too many conclusions in terms of what's going on it's probably one of those things that he's on the seven day dl for a little bit and hopefully doesn't extend out this may delay his timetable a little bit i know there was rumors that he was going to be promoted to triple a because i know i'm sure up in buffalo they have a ton of promotional stuff yeah. they want to do around him even if it is only for a couple weeks so they'll, they'll probably sell out in terms of the buzz that he's getting especially being that close to toronto especially so yeah vlad on the dl austin meadows is still raking beaks got kind of beat up in that first inning jalen beaks Oof. um uh bowers too of the raises up and it looks like he might be playing every every day i know he's a guy I think we talked about a bit ago. I heard that. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm excited to see him play up a little bit. Honestly, I thought that he was another one of those guys who I think had around like 600, 700 plate appearances as a triple A. So it's like at some point, just call him up. Like he was hitting well. His discipline's good. He's not going to, he's probably going to K a bit, but I think the walks will make up for it. Seems like he's non zero speed. You know, the power's there. Maybe like a 15, 20 home run guy. I'm, I'm interested to see how he plays. Definitely. I know Adamas came up and sent, was sent back down very quickly after that, but he, I think, homered in his first at bat or first game. I'm not exactly sure off the top of my mind. Yeah, he offered Chris Sale. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I remember watching that now. But uh, so that's kind of the spin around. We've obviously had some call ups and hopefully some more call ups coming soon. I don't know if anyone stood out to you, Ralph. Did you catch any of that beak star? I know you're a Sox fan, so I wasn't sure if you had perspective. Uh-huh. On what was going I caught on. everything after the first inning, so I rewound uh-huh. it. And, and, <laughs> and I was at I was at practice with with my boys, the yeah. seven to nine year olds that that I coach, and uh, we were we were having a blast and uh, doing that whole thing. So yeah, I missed the half hour, so I missed pretty much the beginning of it, but I did DVR it, so I was able to check it out. I wanted to mention too. Have you taken a look? I know I let them off in uh, my Raz ball minor league update for Thursday. Uh, obviously recording this on Thursday night won't come out till Saturday morning, but you've seen Fernando Tatis Jr.'s numbers oh, man, since and, May 1st. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And then even more so <laughs> his last 10 days. Um, oh my God. I mean, Blown it's, up. He it's, was slow in it's April insane. Too. Man. Yeah. He just hates April. That's what I said. He, he hates April the way <laughs> the Joker, the Joker hates Batman. Like it's, it's, <laughs> It's so obvious that he's just like, ah, whatever. I'm so over these, these, these Aprils that I have to deal with, you know? Um, so I'm, I don't know. Let's, let's see what happens. Maybe he's a guy that, uh, maybe they hold him down for the first month of April and get a suck out. And then they call him up like May 1st and like, boom, gangbusters, you know, we'll see what happens. I think I I said today, the earliest, I think he's up is like September. And I, even then I kind of doubt that. I remember hearing. I heard somewhere that the goal for him was to get him right on the precipice of the major league level by the end of the year. So that seems like maybe something where probably was interested in bringing him up and breaking camp with him unless they pull a Bryant, but he's killing the ball. Well, and the other thing I wanted to say is historically to, uh, to tease, sorry, historically the San Diego Padres 
have sort of handled prospects in a particular way. If you go back and look at the history with you know, even like a Swahe, someone as small as that, and like Margot and Hunter Renfro, those guys were really pushing uh, for the call up in 2016. And they didn't get it until after the playoffs were done. And I know Prell has gone on, on record saying this before. I just sounded wicked Boston saying Preller. Uh, <laughs> but he said on record before he likes his teams to sort of develop that winning attitude. I know that's been sort of a staple of this recent uh, wave of players in the Yankee system with, you know, Judge and even like someone like Austin and some of those guys is that they sort of wanted them to experience winning on the lower levels as a team, you know, as a group get their reps in, not have to worry about, you know, the pressure being called to the major leagues and just worry about sort of doing the right things to win ball games. And I think from a development standpoint, that's probably a smart approach. There's no reason for them to rush them up to San Diego. San Diego should suck this year. And if they suck next year, we'll see what happens, but suck again this year, get yourself another top 10 pick, add that into the stockpile of arms and different types of talents that you've now acquired through the draft and the international market um, and trades, you know, as well. And, and then just sort of see what happens and see how it progresses. So I think that Tatis will be one guy that I'll say and stand firm. San Diego has no reason to call him up unless they give him a cup of coffee for a few games at the end of the season, just to sort of reward him if the year goes well enough and he's healthy and, and doing all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I think he's a guy too, that could end up in the Arizona fall league. If I'm not mistaken, he was not in the fall league this season. I don't Correct. believe he was in 2017, yeah. Like All right, last so um, I was almost positive he wasn't. But, yeah, I would think that he's probably an Arizona Fall League guy. So he's kind of on, like, the the, the Acuna uh, trajectory, so to speak, sure. you know. Yeah, and especially he's if he gets bumped from San Antonio, yeah. Yeah, the power, the speed. He's got enough on base ability, though. I think that will tick down a little bit. And he's going to K 30%, though. He 100%. is. He's, gonna, he's, a, he's sure. a higher striker guy. Yep. Yep. But um, I think he can adjust that, you know, as he gets better. And, and I think Brian is sort of an app comp from uh, the strikeout side of things. And I think, you know, that part of his great game will improve. And he's 19 for the entirety of the season. His birthday is in early January. So yeah, that's uh, insane. Yeah. I mean, this guy is going to be 20 next year and probably in the major leagues. So to tease, unfortunately, guys, you're going to have to hold tight. Do not trade him uh, unless it's yeah, for I'd something good. I traded him straight up for Ozzy Albies. In a, a league I'm trying to compete this year. I don't I mind that. Sure. Albies for five years. So I called up Albies. I have control of him for five years at 400,000, a million, two million, three million, and then four million. And then Tatis, I figured, is a year behind. It's an on base percentage league, batting average, steals, you know, so it's more or less it's it's six by six head to head. And uh, yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of liked taking the chance on Albies there. I don't know. I'm fine I with figured, that. Yeah, I yeah. figured it's it, it, you know it could go one no way commodity. or the other, but it doesn't mm-hmm. look bad. Yeah, and I made the trade back in like mid mid April, so I've gotten most of the good alleys. I like it. Yeah, I'm pulling up his stats right now. So he was actually going to be one of the guys I was going to incorporate into my five by five, but I decided to go elsewhere because I think I mentioned him like two weeks ago. I'm trying to keep it fresh on who I mentioned. I think I'm bringing up Corbin Burns today, which is another another guy that I've kind of mentioned. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm sure you do get this way too when you start looking at a prospect and getting into him and understand him as a player. Then you become a little bit more interested and want to check in. So if something interesting happens, then you're more inclined to kind of bring it up in this five by five. So I try to keep it fresh, but of course there are times when I am uh, a little bit biased in terms of who I talk about. But I, I didn't want to talk about Tatis, but I'll, I'll throw a slash from May up there. Three thirty six average. He had seven home runs 16 rbis 34 strikeouts to 13 walks he had 12 doubles as well so he kind of tore his way through he was seven for five on the base pass in june if fangrass will work for me very quickly i will be able to pull up and let everyone know that he hit 
he's hitting 444 in June, no home runs, but he's got three strikeouts to one walk. So interesting start here. He looks like he's in his last two games. So on Tuesday and Wednesday, he was a combined six for nine <laughs> with a bunch yeah, of singles yeah. and a couple doubles. So, uh, yeah, that looks pretty good. Last night one strikeout, one strikeout in his last four games too, which is what I like to see. So this is impressive. This is absolutely impressive in terms of his production. Um, I think a while back I remember talking about how he was struggling to start, and I was like, if you believe in him as a superstar, you have to assume he bounces back, and he has bounced back in a very, very valiant way. So this is very exciting in terms of Tatis because I think a lot of valiant. people have that was, that was a good word, right? That was excellent. <laughs> Everyone has him inside their top ten, so you got to have the confidence in guy if you're putting him in your top ten to bounce back, and he has done that. All right, so let's take a second to uh, give a shout-out to my favorite sponsor, a man in a company that is close to my heart, truly figuratively and literally because I am wearing a RotoWare shirt right now. There would, of course, be RotoWare at RotoWare on Twitter. You can follow the man, the myth, the legend, the guy that designs them, folds the T-shirts. That would be at Kenneth underscore Cashman. Go to RotoWare.com. You can use our promo code as you shop through all of their beautiful selection of all the different T-shirts they have. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of different designs, especially now that he's got RotoWare Classic kicking off. But you can use our promo code SAGNOF, that's S-A-G-N-O-F, to get 20% off your purchases. I know payday is tomorrow for me, so I'm going to actually be ordering a couple of Rotoware shirts. Going to get a couple more Prospect Jesus shirts. I'm going to get myself a Mauler shirt, which is uh, inside joke from the Raz 30, but it's a little emoji with our, our good friend Motown Mauler, who's an absolute troll on Twitter in a bear suit, and it's just his head, and it's hilarious. But uh, I'm waiting for the Andy Singleton shirt to finally get developed. Go and do that, Kenny. You got to do it. And I like all the <laughs> shirts that I have, especially the Rotoware brand stuff, because it's like the top notch, you know, quality shirt really breathable almost like you know wicks you know wetness and sweat and all that good stuff i love running in these shirts too uh because they're they don't end up being like completely soggy messes this time of year when it's humid outside and you know you're out there pounding the pavement so uh big shots to you kenny use our promo code sagnoff to get 20 percent off lance anything you wanted to add on rotoware uh, i just have to commend him for all the creativity that he's shown in the recent months when he's been putting out a ton of uh, shirts and uh, that are really really time appropriate in terms of uh you know things happening around sports not just baseball but he does some fantastic baseball shirts i think that's predominantly what he does but you know we had the the wtf uh jr shirt after that weird final stuff which i found absolutely hilarious that got a ton of retweets a ton of um pull on twitter i saw for that so and understandably so because it's a fantastic shirt and hilarious that's probably gonna be the next one i'm gonna pick up i wanted to get a couple random ones just to showcase my love for them i wanted to do that one the cybermetrics one is one that i find hilarious as well that was oh, obviously yeah, the one for funny. philly i think they had that yeah. in like their philadelphia gets that or whatever the the columnist called it cybermetrics instead of sabermetrics which is unreal he's got a ton he's got the no no for paxton shirt i saw that was actually kicking around on paxton's feed as well a twitter feed or instagram feed it might have been um as always man the unbelievable designs unbelievable quality of t-shirts i have a few and i'm going to be picking up more uh payday for me uh now that i'm back in college ralph is pretty much non-existent so i have to find some money <laughs> but otherwise rotoware.com at rotoware at kenneth underscore cashman rotoware is the place to be do you want to get started on the five by five ralph yeah let's do it why don't awesome. we, uh, we jump right in? You want me to go first? Yeah, do it up. All right. So I'm going to, I tried to have a theme, but it ended up not working out. So I have three guys that are 2017 picks sort of sandwiched in between a couple other interesting names. The first one I want to talk about, and, uh, I want to give a shout out to, uh, Connor Kirkon of uh, six man rotation, because of course he tweeted it out as, uh, as, as, as I was sort of checking Twitter before I came on and I was like, dude, I'm actually talking about Rooker on the podcast tonight. So Brent Love Rooker it. outfielder. For uh, Chattanooga, the double-A affiliate, uh, of course, of the Twins. He's a guy that had a lot of hype. I was thinking about really moving him back in my top 100. 
because I haven't put it out yet. I wasn't able to do that. And thank God, because he start he started to come around uh, in the last month or so. I know the 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 tweet that that Conrad put out was like a 25 game sample, and it was a little bit better than this one. But I like to go in full months. So over the last month, he is absolutely adjusted to Double A. Uh, he's hitting 274, 333, 540 with seven homers, eight doubles. I think two or three triples, 28 uh, RBIs, 35 Ks to 11 walks. So it's about a 25% uh, K rate to about an 8% walk rate, which isn't great, but it's a good adjustment there. Um, nice to see that he's tapping into the power. That's the biggest part of his game. And if he's keeping the batting average north of 260, I think that's always a bonus with this guy. Uh, and as he gets settled in, I wouldn't be surprised if he does add a little bit more walks. Um, but he's got the pop and that's really what you're betting on with Rooker is that he's, you know, sort of a power hitting low average, decent on base percentage guy in the, in the corner outfield. Um, anything you wanted to add on Rooker? No, I think I've always been a pretty big fan of Rooker. Um, Mississippi State guy, I believe he had that crazy, yes. crazy stretch last year where he hit like 11 home runs in 30 games or something like that. And everyone kind of went crazy over him, but I, I'm, I'm happy to see this production. I know he's, um, he's kind of one of those guys who seems may, maybe like everything is already there and it's just a matter of getting reps and timing and then he'll probably be up sooner than later as a, as a polished college guy but uh yeah I'm, I'm really happy to see this with him because I, I do in fact like him a bit I think I had him I want to say I had him like top 90 ish in my most recent update on my top 100 probably right in that window so I think this is just more of a stability around that maybe jumping up yeah. up into like the 60 ish window once you start to get a little more confidence if this extends especially I think I had him I think I had him high in like the like within the sixties, might even been within the fifties to the forties. But mm-hmm. uh, I do I do like Rook I really just I bet on the bat. He's got yeah, bat yeah. speed. I believe that this wasn't an AJ Reed type guy. I have to say the first month though was really tough to watch. It was. He was struggling. Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's one of those things where you just you, you have to relax. You can't overreact too much to April. We've seen this now with a couple of guys. We talked about the T's earlier. It was sort of the same thing. So just, you know, pump the brakes when it comes to worrying too much about the first month of the season. You know, obviously, you know, he's made his adjustments. It looks like he's tapping into the power. You're getting the Rooker that you wanted to get. To begin with, if you drafted him, don't don't sell. Don't sell. Hold off. Pump the brakes. I think one of the good things, too, is he's probably going to get some opportunity uh, sometime in that Twins outfield because there's injuries going got down. Guys who haven't been as good as they were maybe touted to be. Rooker might have an opportunity there. Same thing with Nick Gordon. I'm looking at who's starting for shortstop recently with the Twins, and I'm thinking Nick Gordon is crushing the ball in AAA. <laughs> uh, Plus, might be a chance he gets called yeah. up soon. I'm telling you, man. I think there might be a chance we see him uh, in July. I would like to see that. Yeah, no, I know. I think they get Polanco back soon, so I'd be interested to see if they slot him in there. If there's any rust on Polanco, but I, I'm I'm ready to see Gordon. I think he's relatively ready in terms of maybe not the bat side of things. That might be something that projects out a little bit more for Gordon. But right now with the glove, I'm sure he's average to plus because that's always been the kind of tool of his that's always stood out. Yeah, he's he's a three thirty three hitter though, man. I mean, yeah. he's hitting like well everywhere. So I don't know. I think he could hit major league pitching. I mean, we know how those balls fly in the major leagues. <laughs> we do. Who's yeah, uh, seen the loss of Who's your number one? <laughs> My number one is a name that I think has has been buzzed about a lot in the Padres system. Probably not one of the names coming into the season that most people immediately thought of when they thought of Padres prospect starting pitchers, but it's Chris Paddock actually. So he's been absolutely dominating. Forty three percent strike rate, two percent walk rate two percent walk rate it's just it's baffling to me when i saw these stats i know a lot of people have been tweeting out about his k to walk ratio and 
you know, obviously people with the draft are talking, tweeting out Mize's K to walk ratio, which was like 120 to eight or something like that. It was very, very amazing. But Paddock is almost equally as impressive through 37 and a third innings. Now he's just dominating with a 2% walk rate. His start on Wednesday was thoroughly impressive. Five innings, three hits, no earn, no walks, 10 strikeouts, which seems to be a perpetual thing with him. He goes five innings. He strikes out double digits, um, giving up some runs periodically, but I think it's still a sub two ERA, sub two FIP, not a lot of home runs, really tough to barrel him. It's been unbelievable. He's coming off a Tommy John surgery. Obviously he's got a plus change up that I think, I think a lot of people from what I was reading think it could get up to double plus. It's it's got some oh, wicked, I think it's wicked, plus plus. It's oh, wicked, wicked in terms of its movement. I saw some very grainy video, um, but it was video nonetheless of this pitch moving in. <laughs> the, the fastball as well just has a ton, a ton of buckle to the obviously arm side run. He's a righty. And it actually reminded me a little bit just on the fastball. I don't want to draw any other comparisons between these two players, but Kevin Gossman is always a guy I always thought had a ton of fastball run on him. Not the best command of that pitch, but Paddock's command has been, I mean, he clearly has control with only a 2% walk rate, but the, if the command side of him can jump up to average to plus with this changeup, which I think you can tend to get a lot of guys who are changeup dominant with decent control because they're not pumping 98 plus. I think he sits 92 to 94 from what I was reading, maybe a little bit yeah. lower in terms of some of that movement on that pitch, but there's a ton of movement on his pitches. He almost reminded me a little bit of like an Ethan Hankinsy kind of guy in terms of how much run was on that pitch. I didn't expect that because I really Way didn't know much control, about him. Way more control, though. Oh, oh, immensely <laughs> more control, yes. <laughs> but just the matter of like the aesthetic of watching that pitch run was just yeah. fairly impressive to me. Um, he's a 6'4 guy, pretty good extension. Um, I think the fastball actually plays up probably a little bit more, probably perceived, perceived excuse me, velocity-wise on that pitch. Um, ton of run, as I mentioned, Gossman-esque. Um, I think the one knocking him from what I was reading is that it's it, there's a lack of a truly dominant breaking ball, which is obviously one of those knocks when you have a guy who's doing everything right that you have to come up with something as to why he's probably still in lower minors and not kicking around and up. But uh, um, I'm interested to see kind of going forward what exactly happens in terms of their development plans with him. And also when some updates happen to the Padres list, where he sits among some of the other arms. I know Michelle Baez yeah. has been pitching relatively well. There's some buzz kicking up a back around him. Cal Quantrill's always been a guy that kind of like a high floor guy. Um, Eric Lauer, obviously, um, Logan Allen. They got a ton of, ton of guys in the system, but Paddock might be a guy who honestly can can generate some buzz for being like one of the top three forearms in the system. Almost seems to be stats-wise similar to a guy like Anderson Espinosa, who I know is also coming off Tommy John. So they're nursing Tommy John's. Parler's nursing Tommy John's. Ralph, do you have any thoughts on Paddock? Yeah, Baez, Gore, Paddock. That's how I would rank the top three in that in that system in I terms like of it. arms. I like yeah. it. And, I would, and then I'd put Allen <clears throat> ahead of... Uh, then Maury Han, and then Quantrill. I'm not a huge Quantrill guy, but that doesn't mean I, don't, I, I him. dislike him. Huh? I've always been a little higher on him for some reason. I'm not sure why. Maybe just I just I, think I, for just fantasy like skills. Like re, for fantasy, real sure. life, I think he could probably turn into a horse. And I'll say the one thing on Paddock, it's just been the health. You know, I mean, yes, obviously yes. he had the TJF. He was traded to the the, the Padres for <laughs> Fernando Rodney. Yeah. Uh, good trade, <laughs> Miami. Uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so don't blame don't blame Jeter, guys. It's been bad for a long time. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this guy, like you said, double plus changeup. I like the fastball. He can ramp it up to 95, 96 at times. Perceived velocity, absolutely. He's very tough to pick the ball up out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, I don't think the breaking ball, while uh, certainly not in anything close to an above average pitch, it's a fringe average pitch. Sure. But he can. He's been landing it for strikes more this year, from what I've seen. I, I did see one start that was condensed um, and was you know able to see the breaking ball, and I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's it, it's a it's one of those things that it's questionable, you know. Once he gets into the upper minors, and really, you know, once he gets to the major league, which I think if he stays healthy will happen in the next couple of years, um, is he going to be able to land it for strikes and 
fool anybody with it. Is it going to be, you know, a meaningful pitch? And that's really the biggest thing with your breaking ball is if um, you got to change up in a fastball and you really don't have anything that's just an, a complete out pitch. Now, granted, the changeup is nasty. I feel like he needs that, you know. But then again, Lucchese's been pretty pretty effective with more or less like two pitches. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. That's true. Yeah, Lucchese's been pretty effective with it. I think that he, he honestly has the feel for it. I mean, at least it's there. It's not like one of the guys who's just throwing fastball slider. And it's, yeah. it's like, oh, we need a changeup. But it's just like you look at the changeup and you go, oh, that's the changeup. But I think he could work his way into sure. it, honestly. Like, I'd be surprised if they're, they have it's trouble developing a curveball into him. Especially because they have so many other guys in the system that have, I always feel like it's better, to, it's easier for a guy to add a curveball over a changeup. We saw this with like, a guy like Luke Weaver, always been, been changeup dominated. He kind of brought in a slider, or excuse me, a curveball. Um, a ton of guys do that. So I'm, I'm not too concerned. Even if it's fringe average, like, I'm fine with that because he's gonna be, he's gonna have weird wonky off splits too because he's gonna be probably better to better against lefties than righties, which might be an issue. Which is probably one of the reasons why you're gonna want a, a guy who's able to spin a breaking ball. But he's super interesting. He's obviously I mean it's high A right now for him. I'd like to see him jump up where he probably I'd be interested honestly with the promotion with him because he's gonna be have to be using the breaking ball more because I don't the changeup is just decimating everyone right now. I doubt most of the guys in high A or even A ball in Fort Wayne for for the San Diego see good changeups at all consistently. So it might just be a matter of recognition. But I, I bet once he gets a double A, I'd be really interested to see where the stats go. I bet the command stays where it is. I wonder if the K's drop a little bit until he starts bringing out that curveball more or slide or whatever he's tinkering tinkering with. But uh Paddock, a big fan. Um, super interesting guy. He's one of these guys that kind of came out of nowhere. I'm sure he's going to be on almost every top 100 list when those updates start rolling around. Who's your number two, Ralph? So my number two is a guy that I think I probably poo-pooed a little bit when I did my Tampa Bay ra- uh, Rays rankings a few weeks ago. And that's uh, one of these guys that I guess in some ways is sort of uh, unheralded. And that is uh, second baseman Brandon Lowe. He's really playing as much left field now as he is second base. He's not great defensively. So in, in a little way, a little bit of a way, he's sort of like Willie Calhoun. Third round pick two uh, back in 2015 out of Maryland. And he's been largely overlooked. But, but seriously, you know, in terms of what the numbers have been and what the production has been uh, as a 23-year-old, uh, soon to be 24 year old at double a it hasn't bad i mean obviously that's not the youngest age you'd love it if he was 21 and 22 but 23 at double a isn't the end of the world he's slashing 291 400 508 he's got a 14.6 percent walk rate and he's hitting for some power and he steals some bases uh, eight homers eight steals uh 41 rbis 37 runs we sort of have you know an all-around game watched a lot of tape on him trying to dig into him try to figure out whether I like him or not. And I think I do lefty uh, uppercut swing. He's definitely got a couple of holes. I think, you know, the major league pitching, but could potentially exploit. So I think the strikeout rate, which is about 20% now will probably tick up at the major leagues. The walk rate will tick down a little bit, but I think he's got enough cushion. He's got enough pitch recognition skills and just enough plate approach and understanding of the strike zone um, that he's not going to get eaten up. I'm really interested in this guy as sort of a utility bat. And the fact that he's a lefty, I, you know, I think he's going to be strong in a lot of matchups. And you know the way uh, the Rays typically like to platoon guys. There's no reason that the Rays couldn't take a shot on this guy and call him up to the majors late in the season. Uh, or maybe you could see him sometime in 2019. But with the sort of numbers that he's putting up at double A, I mean, you know, hit nearly 300 with a really elite sort of walk rate with some power, with some speed, playing in the infield and the outfield. That gives him some versatility. And that's the kind of player that the Rays typically like. I think he's kind of interesting. He's not somebody that 
know, I rank very highly, as I said, uh, sort of in my write-up when I was doing my notes. He's the he was the third lowest. Oh, he was the lowest rated of the three lows in the uh, race system write-up a few weeks ago. Obviously, I rated Josh and then his brother Nate. Uh, a little bit higher. Nate, you know, as a power hitter, Josh is a little bit more all around skills. Obviously, he was a first round pick a few years ago. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me with the way he's putting up the numbers if Brandon Lowe ends up the best major league player out of all of them. And he's not that far from the majors. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And the one thing I obviously jumped out to me is, is the sustaining of the walk rate. He's up to yeah. f- almost 15% now, which is really impressive, honestly. He was super low at the end of last year when he got the kick up to, I think, Montgomery's their double A squad. But it looks like he's almost yeah. sustained it higher than what he had during like his first looks at full season ball. So thorough, very, very encouraging from, from low for sure. He's a guy, I think I remember the name kicking around of a, a various times. Um, but maybe it was one of the other lows. Maybe I just get them all mixed up. Honestly, <laughs> wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, two for me on my five by five is an individual. I know a lot of people are probably having their eyes on as the prospect circle kind of gets going. And we were two months in to get more of a sample size. Now it's Suli Matthias of the Royals. Um, out in Lexington, um, 18 home runs with a 38% strikeout rate. Um, that, I guess, is kind of uh, pro and a con because the strikeout rate's really, really high. It seems like more of a pitch recognition thing to me. I was actually watching some video year over year for him. It looks like he's actually quieted down some of his hands. I know he had a little bit of a twitch earlier last year. That kind of smooths out. Um, I still think the swing is relatively stiff, but he possesses so, so, so much power. I, I want to say he's advanced for A-ball with the home runs he's belting and, and probably how hard he's seeing the ball and his aligned drive rate and such. But at the same time, I wonder if they're leaving him there in terms of just pitch, pitch recognition and getting that down and being able to kind of um, smooth him out a little more, bring him down to like 30%. I just think it's more of a reps thing for him, honestly. I'm not sure how many reps he had before coming over and such and and obviously how that developed with him. Um but it's interesting. I think I'm, I like Suli, and I know I think we got in a conversation with another individual regarding Suli versus Kristen Stewart of the of the Tigers, who are very 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 different time frame guys. Just because Stewart is obviously oh, yeah. at AAA right now, so it's, it's I think it's really hard to compare between guys able and AAA. It really comes down to a timetable thing with your team on the dynasty dynasty side of things for fantasy, but. I think I'm a little bit concerned with Surly for one reason. That one reason is the fact that I don't see much adjustment that can happen in his swing to drop his strike rate even more. Usually some of these guys with noisy, noisy hands, noisy bat, noisy barrel, long hand path, etc. You're able to kind of smooth those out and cut out some Ks that way and then get more reps to bring up the pitch recognition. But with Suli, I, I think it's really just pitch recognition. And I can't imagine it's this horrible, but... I really hope that improves. He's, he's slashing 241, 309, 639, so that's obviously a huge jump. In his last seven games, he's 11 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio, which obviously is not great. Um, I, I'm just, I think that that's a little bit of a worry for me. I'm not sure how much of a worry it is for you, Ralph. My number three, I'm going to get into in a bit. I'll jump back. Actually, I'll just do it now. Actually, it's Khalil Lee. So I know we've had this debate in the past between Suli and Khalil Lee and kind of who likes who more. I think that Suli is obviously the guy with a ton more upside in terms of just being able to figure out what's going on with his swing and, and getting that strikeout rate down and possessing some of the 70 degree power that I think he could get to in game in the future, which a lot of people obviously swoon over, especially as a right handed bat. I know we tend to get a little bit more lefties, but right-handed bat obviously future of the royals in terms of what they could do on the power side of things but with Khalil Ali he's a little bit different of a hitter he's, he's a little bit noisier in the hands but he actually walks a ton more than Suli does um 18 percent right now he's he's possessing i think he's in high a of the royal system um that's jumped a little bit it's jumped up six percent from last year he's slashing his slash is honestly probably the opposite of suli it's 274 424 but only 414 on the slug so there's obviously not as much home run power i think he's got a little, relatively level bat path but i like the fluidity in his swing and i think i'm kind of I, I think that 
it's not a debate between Sule and, and Lee, just because I think Sule has a ton more upside. And for fi- for dynasty teams, it's one of those things you want to probably buy into Sule on the power side of things and hope that he gets the K rate down. But but Khalil Lee is very interesting to me. I enjoy him a lot just because I don't know how many people are keeping an eye on him as opposed to Sule just because of what Sule's doing. But I, I think that Lee's, uh, I think it's a debate between the two of them, Ralph. I don't know if this is something that you've thought about at all. I know I think you're a Sule guy. I initially was a Lee guy. And then what Sule's doing now obviously is making me a little bit more aware of him and his success and his power. But how much of a debate do you think it is between Suli and Lee? Uh, I think it's a good debate. I think it's I think it's a much better debate than the Jones Adele debate debate that we had prior to the season, and now it seems like yes. Adele has easily run away with that oh, yeah. one. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I think we're on the wrong side of history there, but barely. Um, but for me, I go back and forth, and I think the fact that Lee is stealing bases at a, a, a much more efficient clip than he was last year, that makes a huge difference. He really wasn't efficient on the base pass. I think he was pretty much 50-50. That's not great. You don't want to see that in the lower minors. He's made some adjustments there. Another guy who's raw, but it looks like he's made some more improvements. He walks a lot more than Suli. Suli is also raw, but I just think that it, his power is, is almost like 80 grade. That if there's is, anything yeah. they can do, they're going to take their time with this kid. If they can slowly develop that, hone that a little bit, and just cut down the strikeouts a little bit, improve the approach a little bit. You know, you know. Sometimes, you know, it, things we don't expect sometimes happen. And I don't think it has to be huge because of how legit the power is. Is he ever going to be a 330 homer, 100 RBI guy? No, but I I think he has the ability to be a 250, you know, 35 homer, 100 RBI guy eventually developing into that. Um, And and that for me, oof, it's it's like, would you rather have the guy that's going to go, you know, 2020 and hit 270 or the guy that's going to, you know, hit 35 home runs? And I think at the end of the day, I'm going to take the guy that hits 35 home runs, whether that's right or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think it's splitting hairs. Um, but it I'm is. going Suli over. I'm going Suli over Lee. Both of them look really good. MJ Melendez looks really good. Nick Prado looks good. And I think we'll get into it probably in a little bit. But you know, I I actually was pretty impressed by what the the Royals did yeah. in terms of taking a very strategic approach to how they 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 use these five picks. Um, you know, in the top we'll say two rounds, and uh, I think they did a good job of acquiring some, you know, lower risk, higher floor college arms i mean because they drafted five of them but anyway so uh anything else you wanted to add on the royal twins there or do you want me to jump into my number three i'll just say you mentioned uh, stealing bases a more efficient rate for lee he was 20 for 38 last year this year he's 12 for 13 so that's a that's a very very good jump in terms of he's basically 50 percent efficiency last year and a ball jumps up to high now and he's 12 for 13 so definitely some work looks like it was put into the offseason there i think he grades out probably as like a more of like a 60-ish runner above average right now. Possibly could fall back just because of his yeah. frame. He's a little bit shorter and maybe a little bit stockier than a guy like um, a little lanky of a runner in terms of or comparing him to a guy who's a lanky runner. But get your uh, two and three, Ralph. You can combo him up if you want. Or three and four, I think, right? I don't three know. and four. I lost track. Yeah, three and four. My two is Brandon Lowe. You're <laughs> there losing you go. There you go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, but you know what? I am going to tell you about my number three. That would be Calvin Mitchell who's a Pittsburgh Pirates prospect. He is in uh, low A in the Sally League, and he's having a great year. This is a guy that was kind of hyped coming into uh, the 2017 draft season. A little bit rough of a senior year. I think he started off in a really bad stretch early on. And everything he's done this year, actually in pro ball, he had a good year last year. 
uh, albeit, you know, barely good. He's had an excellent year this year in his full season debut. Had a lot of hype as an early first round pick, ended up dropping to the second round. Uh, Pirates said they never wavered on what they thought the talent was. And it's easy to see why. Really compact lefty swing, got a little uppercut to it. Definitely has easy power. Um, some of the tape I was watching, he was driving doubles and homers out, and he was just taking easy swings in the ball. It wasn't like he was trying to kill it. Um, be like exactly like I like to tell my kids: don't don't try to crush the ball. Take a nice easy <laughs> swing on it. Yep. But uh, I mean, I love Calvin Mitchell's swing. I really, really do. Uh, the numbers that you know he's put up so far this year: 156 WRC plus. Uh, over the last month, he's even hotter, slashing 333, 393. 542 with uh, four homers, two steals. And the craziest thing I, I noticed when I was digging on some numbers with Mitchell, uh, I'm taking a look at his batted bro- ball profile. This is really interesting. 34% line drive rate, hmm. 34.7% ground ball rate, 31.3% fly ball rate. That is insane. If you have a 34% line drive rate and you, you're pretty even with the ground balls, and the, the fly balls, you're going to have an insane baby, especially if you have a little bit of speed. And I think it's because he just makes such great contact. He seems to barrel a ton of balls. I would love to see his minor league barrel statistics from StatCast. Get on that, Mike Met- Petriello. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned line driver. What was it again, 34%? 34%. 34% is the league leader right now. Joey Votto at the major league level, 34.2%. Right behind him is Freddie Freeman at 31.8. So obviously not a strict comparison between minor leagues and major leagues, but you could tell in terms of percentile what he's likely sitting at in the minor leagues. That's very impressive. Yeah, and he's got approach too. I mean, it's not like, you know, he gets on base. I mean, you, you could see there, even over the hot streak, he's got a, you know, a 60-point split between a 333 batting average and his on-base percentage at 393, which is a good sign. I mean, you know, obviously the guy knows how to take a walk. He's a little bit pull-heavy, but I'm totally okay with that, with the type of swing that he has and the fact that when he is pulling the ball, he seems to be hitting a lot of rockets out there uh, to right field. So, yeah, I love the combination of, you know, power, good approach, um, lefty swing, some pedigree, and the fact that he's an athletic outfielder. Calvin Mitchell's a guy that I do want to own everywhere. I love it. I'm going to keep an eye on him, and I can't say no too much about him. What's your number four, Ralph? So my number four guy, staying with sort of the 2017 draft theme here, is uh, a guy that was taken in the, the early in the first round, and I think in some ways, especially from the fantasy expectations, he's been a little bit underwhelming, and that would be Adam Hazley. He hasn't been as underwhelming as the uh, Phillies pick of the previous year, Mickey Moniak, who was doing <laughs> some digging on, who has a really good batting average over the last 30 days, but his hey. uh, slugging percentage is in like the mid 300s, which automatically excludes him from, from, from my book. But Adam Hazley has kind of been doing exactly what we thought Adam Hazley would do. He's playing, you know, a really solid outfield. Uh, he's hitting for average, especially over the last month. He's slashing 303, 372, 450 with two homers, three steals, but he's got 25 runs and he's not striking out a lot of 14% K rate to an 8% walk rate. So he kind of fits that one, two hitter profile in the national league playing good defense and uh, hitting for a little bit of power. He's got a little bit of speed, but neither of those is sort of overwhelmingly sexy and sort of a fantasy aspect. But I think he's a good player, and he's been doing that in the, the Florida State League, so maybe the power ticks up a little bit uh, when he's called up the Eastern League and gets to hit in that launching pad that is Redding. So I think he's an interesting guy. I would try to grab Hazley now because I think at the end of the season, if he gets half a year in Redding and he's hitting like this, he's making good contact, 
you know, he's playing every day, has good approach. The numbers are going to look staggering in that launching pad and you might be able to flip them at a profit. So that's a little advice from, from your old buddy trader Ralph, but any thoughts on, on Hazley? I know both of us are have sort of debated on the swing, whether we like it or not. Yeah. I think the bat path is good. He's got good bat speed, but he's got that super aggressive leg kick. It's funky. Yeah. He, he like squats. Like I, I know oh, yeah. that Edward, it's funny too, because there's he like this, knees himself in the chest. Yeah. There's this, the funny thing <laughs> is that he's from Virginia. Pavin Smith was also from Virginia, but I was actually reading up because of all the weird shit going on with the Virginia. And a lot of people in college baseball don't exa- exactly like what they do developmentally with their pitchers in terms of how much they throw breaking balls, how they manage their pitchers. And also just the general mechanics things they talk to pitchers about. And I know this was, this is going to get into an individual that the, the uh, Royals took actually Daniel Lynch, who um, jumped up boards a little bit in terms of, uh, in terms of in the last couple of years, because he was actually really defiant to this theory. But the, the, the reason, the point of bringing this up is because that almost reminds me, like one of the things they do on the mechanical side for pitchers is actually get them into a squat just to activate their lower body more, which is, I guess, depending on the, your school of thought, you agree with that or you don't agree with that. But, but he's almost does this in his stance. And it's odd because it's like generally something that I know Virginia teaches pitchers, but it seems like Hazley's doing it with his stance. And I never really liked the swing. I always thought he was kind of one of those weird guys who just, the swing was so funky. I just didn't ever think he'd be able to put together like plus power. I didn't think it'd be super coachable yeah. in terms of how they'd be able to figure out how to get him to a plus power window. But the hit tool's always been there. He's always had pretty good bat the ball. I guess this is one of those scenarios where funky works for him. So just leave him alone, honestly. But I think I'm coming around a little bit on him, Ralph. I'm just not sure entirely if I'm fully going to buy into a guy like Hazley in terms of having an impact. He could be like a, uh, one of those average guys, like, Maybe like a lighter Michael Brantley in terms of like, I don't know how much he's going to steal. It seems like he's maybe non-zero on the speed side of things. It seems like he's going to post a good average. But I know Brantley has had a ton more upside, maybe like a no upside version of Brantley in terms of just being able to produce, but not be able to produce yeah. a, a level that is super, super enticing to a lot of people. It's kind of where I fall. I don't, I don't really know. Obviously, he's, he's, know. it looks like he's adjusted off. Of, I, I've seen some more recent tape of him, and he doesn't look as weird in the swing. I wonder if they're just trying to loosen him up a little more, get him a little more just natural and away from that Virginia vibe mm-hmm. that seems to be encompassing a lot of players. But and he was, and he, he was a two way guy and he was a two way guy. So I think, I think the fact that he's focusing on it now too, I don't think we, we necessarily apply that just because if you're, you're still pitching and you're pitching for Virginia <laughs> yeah. in the ACC in big games, um, there's still an element of it where you're working on that side of your game. And when you sort of take that away and you can sort of just focus on being a position player, you know, I think it can help. And the numbers are good. I think he's a guy that he's in a good situation because Philadelphia needs everyday outfielders, in my yep. opinion. You know, I, I don't think any a lot of the guys they have sort of in that outfield right now are truly everyday outfielders. We can have sort of a long debate about that. But he's a guy that can fit in a few different outfield positions, and he's going to give you a professional at-bats. He's going to do the little things well. And, you know, if he has a, enough speed that he can get you 15 bags, I think in that ballpark, in the major leagues, I think he can hit 15 and 20 homers, you know, with a decent average. And all of a sudden, you got an interesting player. It's just a matter of sort of how it plays out if he stays healthy and, you know, sort of progresses and doesn't get caught up along the line. But he's a guy to watch out for right now. I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll come up my four and five here now before we get into some draft stuff. I'm doing uh, Starling Heredia, who I know is a guy we've mentioned him multiple times because we enjoy him in terms of the ability to run uh, with his kind of stature. I know he's a little bit shorter, pudgy guy, but he's super enticing in terms of what he does. But uh, the start with the Great Lakes Loons out, out in the Midwest League hasn't been too great for him. 179, 245, 328 with a 36% strikeout rate. He is walking a little bit at 8%, which that's probably more around league average than plus or anything. And in his last four games, he's struck at 11 times. So obviously a bit of a rush stretch that he's gone through recently. 
This isn't great to see from Heredia. I know a lot of people like him. I personally like him a lot. I think his swing is relatively fluid. Maybe there's a little bit of excess movement they could carve out so you can maybe see a little bit more of a drop in a strikeout right than you can with a guy like Suli where it's a little more stiffer of a swing and you think it's more pitch recognition-based. Might also be pitch recognition-based with Heredia, but I... I, I think maybe this is just another idea is a scenario where we just we're two months in I know a guy like Fernando Tatis obviously turned around very quickly but this is kind of a different prospect we're not talking about Heredia being a top 25 guy I don't even know if we're talking about him being a top 50 guy seems like more of one of those periphery guys between like the 75 and 150 area that is super super enticing for a lot of people just because of the skill set and the power he can present but I, um, I'm interested in him his follow-through reminds me continually of Juan Uribe which is maybe also the body comp to bring up too but um, he's just he's just kind of like a funny guy like I, I know he has some weird nickname that i always mess up so i'm not even gonna try to remember pitbull pitbull that's it i thought it was something else i always think it's he Bulldog. calls himself that pitbull i like it i like it. i think it fits him pretty well in terms of his swing and stuff but uh i think he's i think he's got I, i'm actually kind of surprised with this slash on his start i don't know if it's more of a bad thing or he's just not squaring up balls well or if it's just an adjustment based thing is he going to the midwest league could be a lot of factors um but the inherent product the frame of the swing is something i liked and i've always liked so i think i still have a reserve a little bit of optimism for what heredia can do going forward in the midwest league but the third and or excuse me the fifth and final person i'm going to bring up is talking pre-show with ralph uh about just mentioning guys uh i try not to get I try not to bring up the same guys over and over and over. I think I might have mentioned this earlier on the podcast, but I've already forgotten short term memory. But uh, but, uh, you bring up the same shit over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. So Corbin Burns, number five on this list, struggling a little bit at AAA. Um, He had this one seven inning, 13 strikeout game on May 6th. And I think everyone thought that was the turning point. But since then, it hasn't been good. He's posted a 547 ERA in the span since that seven innings, 13 strikeout game. Um, 24 strikeouts to 14 walks in the 26 innings since that game as well. So that's also not really a good sign because he had basically the half amount of strikeouts he had. Um, he had, excuse me, had 13 strikeouts in that one game, and then he's only had 24 total in 26 innings. So it, it, maybe that was just a matter of everything syncing up on that one given day. It obviously reserves some hope that he still has everything in him that I think a lot of people grade him out as a plus prospect. I think he's a guy who's I've seen on some list inside the top 50, which is maybe a little bit aggressive of a rank for me, but I think he kind of sits more on that top 75 window, top 10, uh, top 10, top 15 right-handed starting pitcher, obviously. He's more of a kind of a control first guy, which might be one of the problems. But the other problem that I obviously am going to circle back to is the PCL. So this could also be the problem. His home run run rate, I believe, has jumped almost three times since what it's been. He's a fastball slider, curveball change guy. Uh, pretty much all average across those pitches, but they all kind of play up a little bit just because of that, how good the command is. And I think that's another one of the reasons why a lot of people thought initially he'd be able to impact the major league team with the Brewers sooner than later. But he kind of maybe that's gone to the wayside unless on the developmental player development side of things with the Brewers are a little more confident in the peripherals surrounding him as opposed to what the PCL could kind of do to guys. I really would have liked to see the command sustain, though. I think that's the biggest thing for me. That doesn't seem like it's sustained. I know his walk rate, walk per walk per nine now is more like 3.5, whereas in the past in AA and such, um, it was more like kind of a 2.5, and that's where you see that plus command. But I still think a lot of people grade him out as plus command with that changeup and uh, fastball, which doesn't really sit too high on the velocity side of things, but he's able to spot it well, arm side, glove side. So... I, this might present a little bit of a buy-low opportunity. He's relatively intriguing to me in terms of the fact that if you could kind of put the PCL bias aside, if he jumps up to the major league level, which I think he's going to do at some point this year, I think he's going to get a look. I would be surprised if he does it in terms of what the Brewers want to do rotationally with their arms. I know Jimmy Nelson is a guy who's probably going to be back maybe in another month or two, but say that kind of gets pushed back time frame-wise, I wouldn't be shocked. But I guess the detriment and push the push against that would be that they're competing right now. They obviously have a strong lead in the NL Central um, on the Cardinals and the Cubs at the moment. I think it's around five games or so last time I checked, but uh, could be wrong on that. But um, maybe that is kind of pushing aside from pushing back against him 
being called up sooner than later, but um, not a really good stretch for Corbin Burns, but I, I might punt into the PCL. What say you, Ralph, on Heredia and Burns? Yeah, I've liked Heredia a lot, and you've actually inspired me to change my number five uh, from Anderson Tejada to Yuzanel uh, Diaz, who I, I want to make amends because I, I yeah. ranked Starlin Heredia above Yuzanel Diaz, and I probably shouldn't have done that, but I'm tan- I find his tools to be tantalizing. Yeah, yeah, power. same here pit bull and the the, the, <laughs> the crazy swing i hope he figures it out at one day but he's one of those guys that i feel like it's it's like all or nothing like there's no like middle ground with, with him it's either going to be real ugly or it's going to be amazing and i'm i'm hoping it's the latter but uh yeah i you know i'm um you know i'm i'm a fan of of both you know obviously ranked them i think both within my top 100 or, or heredia was pretty damn close to my top 100 but burns was certainly in there and mm-hmm. it's it's nice to see him sort of you know I, i'm i'm still worried though i'm still worried it's such a crappy place to come up and pitch in milwaukee you know like he, he's one of those guys that have been holding holding steady in the dynasty leagues where i added him i like him as a pitcher i like his attitude i like sort of the the bulldog demonstrative approach in the mound. i don't know if you've watched him he's a yep. fiery guy um and i like that but I just worry that he, you know, he's he's going to have some games that are going to kill you because of the ballpark that he's pitching in. But, um, I, you know, I guess it's baptism by fire with Colorado Springs. So <laughs> good for him. Um, if there's nothing else you wanted to add on those two guys, I was going to jump into my number five. What say you, Lance? Number five. Let's hear it. All right. Five Alive is using El Diaz, as I mentioned before, 21-year-old who saw about a month last year uh, in the Texas League with Tulsa return there this year. So far, he's slashing 311, 431, 513 with four homers, six steals, and a 16.7% walk rate. You know how I like the walk rate, especially for a guy who has sort of like five tools across the board. And I don't mean that in terms of like power, speed, defense throwing and I mean like actually like 50 tools across the board probably with the exception of his hit which is probably like a 60 he's got a really solid hit tool there is some power there he can run a little bit he's got good baseball instincts he's just a good all-around baseball player and I think he's somebody that could move pretty fast within that Dodger system if there's some openings some more injuries in the outfield uh, and he may find himself with Alex Verdugo uh, as sort of the future of the outfield there in Los Angeles so Diaz is a really interesting guy. I think he signed uh, in the same um, period as uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., if I'm not mistaken. I think he was a 2015 J2 guy, a Cuban kid, though. So he signed for a little bit uh, a little bit more money, actually. And, uh, you know, obviously he was a little bit older. But I think he's a really interesting guy. Like I said, outfielder, there's really nothing holding him back. Good across-the-board skills. And the big thing that jumps out is the hit tool, the ability to get on base, uh, but the fact that he does have some speed and, he, and, you know, he will take a pitch and sort of work a count, wait till he has his pitch. Usually that allows guys with that pitch recognition skills for their power to play up as they sort of grow into it, grow into more strength, grow into more power, or able to tap into it a little bit more in games. And it wouldn't shock me if, you know, he's sort of a really interesting roto player where, you know, he's hitting 280, 20 home runs, 15 to 20 steals, and, you know, maybe gives you sort of an Andrew Benintendi uh, sort of production if that's, you know, what his ceiling is. Not too bad. Any thoughts on Diaz? No, no, I like it. I think I've always kind of been a fan of Diaz. I'm not sure why I had Heredia in relation to Diaz, but um, I, I feel like maybe making amends now after we see these two months is, is reasonable with Diaz over Heredia, just in terms of development time frame too. Sure. So 
I like Diaz in that spot. What say you uh, talking some draft now, Raph? Do you want to jump into this last 30 yeah, minutes Yeah, so? what's, what's jumping into the draft? I know that I had kicked you over some superlatives before. Yeah. You know, you thought I'm over too. Why don't you, uh, why don't we lead in a little bit? We'll talk about the draft. Uh, you know, obviously no surprises here. Casey Mize went number one. I think we all thought Joey Bat, Bart, Joey Bat, Joey Bart. It would be awesome <laughs> if his name was Joey Bat. Uh, Joey Bart <laughs> goes number two catcher from Georgia Tech. Um, I think we all sort of expected that as well, just knowing the boring-ass Giants and the fact that he's a catcher and he can hit. And so I, I get the pick, so I'm not knocking the Giants at all. It was a good real-life real baseball pick. Uh, Alex Bohm to uh, the Phillies, that didn't surprise me at all. Madrigal uh, to the White Sox, and it was sort of rumored that maybe he'd be White Sox, wouldn't get past uh, the Reds. The Reds go with Jonathan India to uh, further cement my love for the Cincinnati Reds. It's also, I guess, maybe one of the reasons that I switched the Reds in the Raz 30, and uh, <laughs> they made another good pick. I have really liked their drafts over the last few years. I think they're building a really nice young core of uh, talented players. they got a lot of good infielders, too. Uh, so Jonathan India sort of thrown into that mix with guys that are up there in the major leagues with Suarez and Peraza, uh, of course, Nick Senzel, uh, once he's you know totally good to go. Um, you know, he's going to be in the mix there too. And they got, you know, guys like Jeter downs, uh, who mm-hmm. are pretty solid players that are in the lower minors. So been a good job of acquiring town over the last few years. I've seen Taylor Trammell was a pick. I like a lot. Uh, Kalenic at number six, number seven was Ryan Weathers to the San Diego Padres. Carter Stewart went number eight, Kyler Murray at number nine. And I wanted to stop here, Lance. And, yeah, and talk. maybe this is an easy segue into what I thought was probably the biggest reach of the draft and with all the inherent risk that comes with Kyler Murray. And then when you sort of look at the player that he is, and I talked about this last night uh, on the baseball show, I had the pleasure of talking with Kyle Glazer. You guys haven't checked that out. Go and check it out. We had a really good conversation. He stuck around for another 45 minutes plus after the show uh, on, on Periscope or Periscope, if you are uh, Lance. And uh, <laughs> so we got about an hour and a half. Got into some really good conversations about the draft, major leagues, just you know, a whole variety of topics. And one of the things that I discussed with him was, you know, when Travis Swaggerty is sitting there, and he has the skill set that he has. And there's a lot less risk. He's a lefty bat, too. Um, why go with Murray and all that risk as opposed to going with Travis Swaggerty there at number nine? Well, I mean, like, mm-hmm. what was it in particular? Because your draft slot, you got another $200,000. I mean, I, I'm assuming that Travis Swaggerty would sign for 4.7 if that's what you ended up offering it to him. And I feel like you need to drop the cash on Murray, knowing that this kid is going to be the replacement, you know, for Baker Mayfield for freaking Christ's sakes at Oklahoma. Um, so what are your thoughts on Murray? I'll, I'll shut up for a minute. No, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. That obviously was the first pick of the draft that became a little bit more aggressive. I guess you could tag it as aggressive, however you want. I know a lot of people are saying that Grayson Rodriguez pick at 11 for the Orioles is aggressive. I don't necessarily think it's that aggressive. Honestly, I think everyone's just kind of scared of the fact that they just can't develop pitching, which really, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just more stigma than anything. Obviously, it could be something where that changes this year. Just, we weren't going to know. It's, it's almost revision of history when, when we get that on the road. We would look back and see if that's a bad pick, but at the moment, I don't think it's that bad at Grayson Rodriguez at 11, but Kyler Murray is interesting because, particularly because of the difference between, or the lack thereof, different side of him between Jordan Adams and Kyler Murray. Just because both these guys are just hyper, hyper amazing athletes with 
sure. sport bloodlines across various sports, and they can do a lot yep. of things, and they're enticing in that respect. But they don't have a lot of reps, and that's the biggest thing. Is like both of these guys have problems with good breaking balls and i think that most of the time on the player development side a lot of people look at that and just go oh that's just probably a rep based thing he hasn't seen it enough so we won't say he's not good against plus breaking balls we just don't know when in reality it's probably just a more of they don't know or they just they can't know because he hasn't seen him extensively he hasn't played extensively at high levels enough to know what great breaking balls look like and, and to improve against them really um and that's the biggest thing. It's just like you're spending a lot of money and you're betting on a lot of things to happen. Sure, if they all hit, this kid could be plus plus and a variety of things and be a true five tool outfielder, as we saw with a guy like Joe Adele, who is a, is a high school guy. He's obviously blowing up a little bit in terms of him and Royce Lewis becoming probably two of the main top first round guys who are a little bit more intriguing than anyone else at the moment on the fantasy side of things, particularly. But with Kyler Murray, it just goes back to the risks factor for me. And I, I almost, I think it was in another group chat talking about just the draft in general with the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, actually. And we were kind of just trying to figure out what exactly the A's plan was because I know they went Austin Beck in the first round last year. That's another guy that's kind of more of a project where you have to put a lot of the tools together. Hopefully you bring that K rate down and hopefully you tap into some of that power. And at the end of the day, you get a guy who's plus power, 270, 280 average and can carry your team. And they seem to almost be in this kind of mode with Billy Bean where they just want to put together some lotto tickets and hit on one of the lotto tickets. But if they don't hit on any of the lotto tickets, to me it seems like in the future they're just – they're they're just going to let him go. Like Beans is going to let the team go. And I mean, it seems kind of insane to think four years down the road that Beans not going to be the GM of the A's. But to me, it's like, he's done all this in recent years. Like if these guys don't hit, like what is he going to have? You know, and that's the biggest thing is like they need to internally develop the talent because they can't go out and get it. And I get that is probably more the inclination for going with guys like Kyler Murray because you're never going to be able to pay for a guy like Kyler Murray just based on the other teams that are be more enticed by his value, what they see projection wise with him, how they can develop him. So I get you got to make these guys. I get you got to make you got to take a guy like Beck <clears throat> and, and tune him up and turn him into a plus power bat. You got to take a guy like Murray, turn him into plus on the base path, plus everywhere else. But. I, it's an aggressive pick. I don't really know. I think the biggest thing is relation back to the fantasy side of things, Ralph. Like, I think a lot of people are going to see him nine on boards. Obviously, he's the big name. Everyone knows him from Oklahoma. He's going to be talk on college football. Like, I feel like whenever Oklahoma plays, if he's the starting quarterback, I don't really know the football side of things, so I don't want to make assumptions there, but it seems like maybe he's yeah, going to be the starting that's quarterback. The case. Yeah, yeah, so like, I don't you're going to see Otherwise, him... I think he'd just sign. He'd take his 4.7 exactly. and be like, stuff it. Exactly, yeah. So it's like you're going to see him a ton on Saturdays in football. He's gonna, That's going to be the talk for everything. Everyone name value side with Kyler Murray is going to go way high. But for me and for your player draft ranks, I don't know if I want to put him up that high. I think I want to drop him down. I want to drop him down to the 15th, possibly in the second round. I'm, or honestly, that's just not going to happen. I'm not going to get him in the second round. So I'll just let someone else take him. Let someone else be yeah. aggressive and bet on everything else playing up. And I, it's concerning to me. I'd be much more inclined to go with a guy like Jordan Adams. If I was like, I, I don't know, like... Just slot value side, too. Like, Adams, I think, was about um, $1.4 million less in terms of slot value than a guy like Kyler Murray. I don't see yeah. too much difference between Kyler Murray and Jordan Adams. No. Maybe this was a matter of the A's really and, liking Kyler Murray, but there's a Adams, lot of problems. And Adams is already committed. Adams is already committed to, to He did very quickly after. Before, yeah, before yeah. Signed. I mean, like, he put it out there on Twitter, like, the next day. The draft was still going on. Literally, yeah. <laughs> you know, that. it was the second to the, to the third day. I mean, he put it out, like, 6 o'clock that night. So... He was ready to go, and and obviously that decision was already made. I'm, I'm guessing it didn't take you know just being drafted in the first round. He knew that was going to happen. So, Angels though, good organization. They've done a really good job of drafting under Billy Epler. So big shots to him. But uh, with Murray, yeah, I, I I don't like I said I just don't understand the pit because you have a guy in Swaggerty, like I said, lefty bat. You need outfielders. You need outfielders now with like a good young core. He's closer. He's going to be starring for your team right away. A guy that can uh, you can assign to Vermont 
you know, right away, as soon as, you know, right out of the season, you know, right as the season begins, he's got some power. He's got some speed. He's an athletic guy walks a ton. I mean, he's an on base guy. That's like sort of what his thing is. So though I know he can get fooled by a breaking ball as well. It's, it's not anywhere close to what, you know, uh, Kyler Murray is, but then again, I guess you're, you're betting on the fact that, you know, Murray coming from a big program, having his time split between two sports and obviously being the quarterback for Oklahoma is a big deal. Even the backup, um, you know, maybe this, <laughs> maybe this, maybe it's just, they're playing the upside card. I don't totally get it because I figured after back last year, they would go toward more of a college bat that was a little bit more ready. Um, do you sort of agree that maybe Swaggerty was like for what they're looking for might've been the safer pick? I think it definitely would have been a safer pick. The upside side of Murray, I think, is definitely higher than Swaggery in terms of just what he is able to put together. But the the percentile that he actually hits, like the, the ah. you, you simulate this a thousand times, like how many of these times are you going to get the Kyler Murray you hoped and wanted? You know, like whereas if you simulated a thousand times with a guy like Swaggerty, like you're probably going to end up more times than not with a guy you can bat top of the order probably be a decent on base guy even if the other tools on the periphery don't come around he's not maybe a plus power bat maybe it sticks in that 15 window for too long or but i mean the baseline of it is there like if i'm the a's i get shooting for the moon but i also see your case with the safety like there's obviously more safety in a guy like swaggerty if kyler murray is where swaggerty is right now in a year i think you'd probably be pretty happy you'd be really happy exactly you know you're hoping that the power comes two Swaggerty might be in the major leagues and even better than he is now. Yeah, I mean, he's going to fly through the system. Remember, he's at Southern Alabama, and I'm not knocking the program. I'm not dogging the program, but it's Southern Alabama. Mm-hmm. Imagine once he gets into, you know, professional baseball training facilities, spring training, going through that. You know, they're you know training and dietary people, all that stuff, the science of the game that goes into it now, and all the coaching, all the meticulous detail into honing these athletes that if he's the kind of guy that's willing to sort of take that on, you know, and he's got a good, you know, athletic baseline to begin with, you know, he can really take off as well. I mean, I, I think there's still some untapped potential there as well. Cause this guy isn't using Oklahoma's training facilities, you know? Sure. I mean, I, I don't know. I think, I think maybe that's one of those things that gets a little bit undersold. So who's your, who's your biggest reach? Would you go with Murray or, or do you have another name that you're kicking out there? Actually, the the reach that I brought up and I actually have on my list right here is Connor Scott at thirteen from the Marlins. I uh, I do that. I, I just I think I texted you about this. I know this is one of those things. Like I looked at Connor Scott a while ago and I liked him just because I think I liked the baseline hits. Who I thought that he was plus speed. I think he grades out seventy speed. Obviously, going to be some rangy rangy outfielder with he's a little bit taller. I think his frame could put on weight. I know that in the draft on MLB Network they were mentioning that they were a little bit concerned with a slight twitch in his hands. He's got like a stiffening right before he swings. That it's I, that I think one of the analysts said was going. Yeah, He's got a hitch. Yeah, it's going to be tough to smooth that out. I don't really know how true that is personally. I don't. You, I think you have to interact with that player for an extended period of time and see how he uses that twitch before you're able to say that it's going to be hard to, to smooth out of him. But I, it's just a tomato-tomato thing. I don't really know how you want to look at that. But I just thought for what that slot value was, I know you had the overslot and to get him. Sure, whatever. But the Marlins in terms of their development around a guy like this, I just don't. I thought it was a bit of a reach. I it just goes back to a guy like Shane McClanahan. It goes back to a guy like Shane McClanahan. I know we talked about it a lot, Ralph, where we kind of had concerns around him mechanically. We knew that maybe it's a reliever profile long term, but he could still pump 100 from the left side. It's just we got a little bit concerned about that in the top 10. But like when he goes in the comp round, you're like, I'm completely fine with that. If he turns into a reliever in the comp round, you're you're completely satisfied with that, in my sure. opinion. 
and I have no problem with that at all. But it's like with Connor Scott, you're almost hoping for a Kyler Murray scenario. And sure, like maybe the Marlins wouldn't have gotten in the second round. He clearly, I think, was projected in that kind of 19 to 25 window, maybe comp round. I think some people saw him falling to. Sure, they weren't going to get back to him, but clearly liked him. I think right on that day of the draft, he actually had two workouts in the prior week with the Marlins, and it seemed like there was a lot of confirmation buzz around the fact that he was going at 13 to the Marlins and whatever that source leaked. I think I heard that on Fangraphs or something, but that ended up being very true. So they obviously clearly bought into their guy. It seems like they they had a bunch of options in the other direction after Connor Scott. They could have gone with a guy like Logan Gilbert, polished guy called polished pitcher matt Liebertor was still on the board jordan adams was still there in terms of a little more athletic of a guy maybe the tools aren't as great maybe the hit tool isn't as great to start lone gorman who went to my car so i've always liked a lot um yeah he's another guy with plus power from the left side like even a guy like trevor larnark like he's he's obviously another power bat from oregon state and lefty sure. bat like they could have maybe baseline him got him up quicker if that rebuild plan a guy around guys like isan diaz and monte harrison and maybe they hope Lewis Brinson is more than he's shown. Like there's a lot of timetables here that I thought that would have been a little more efficient than going with a guy like Connor Scott. So in terms of just pure reaches, I, I go Connor Scott just because it's pure value. Like I, I would have loved him if he went 25 to a team and been like, look at this team, you know, a team like the Nationals sitting at 27. They could have really used a guy, a guy like Connor Scott. They have minor league guys. Juan Soto just came out. They have a lot of youth, but they, now they have this high school talent. They could sit in the back of their system and run them through. But with the Marlins, it's just, I think the expectations are going to be too high. We're going to be continually disappointed with Connor Scott. That's what I say. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you're spot on with that. And there's a lot of sort of defensive tools. There's a lot of work that needs to be done with the swing. We really don't like the lower half on Connor Scott. Mm. And Jason Waddell, who got yeah, firsthand yeah. looks at Connor Scott a few times at plant because he lives right around there. Not a big fan of Connor Scott. Um, I think there's some upside there. You know, I don't hate the Marlins overall draft. I don't and, either. And That's I can, the fun I can part. see where they're coming from with the pick. But when Matthew Liebertor is sitting there and everyone thinks this guy's a top 10 talent, easy. Most people think he's a top five. Some people think he's a top two talent in this draft. And like you're rebuilding. And if we know one thing, the best way to rebuild your system and get trade chips is to get a bunch of really good arms. He fell into your lap. Draft him. They have They were so happy he didn't get drafted by uh, the Orioles, by the way. And somebody last night actually kicked around, why didn't the Blue Jays draft Brady Singer? And I was like, what? What? Like, why don't the Blue Jays draft yeah. Matthew Lee before? Yeah, they, they have really good track record with high school arms, Syndergaard, mm. all those guys. Like, um, I don't know if you know, Stroman came from Duke, but, I mean, they drafted – the Blue Jays have drafted extremely well on the arms side of things. So, man, what did you I think about the Gro- Scott. What did you think about the Groshans pick? I, at thirteen, at twelve, I actually deferred it too. So we on the on the CBBSN fan tracks crossover. The guy Rich was a huge Toronto fan, so I wasn't really too sure around the drafting strategy what they were going to do. Um, I figured they were going a variety of other de- directions, but they obviously like the power projection with Groshans. I don't mind it. I, th- I think it's an okay pick. I wouldn't say I'm completely in love with it. But then again, like there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in that that twelve to like twenty overall window. And it seemed like Rich was pretty happy with it, so I, I think I almost defer to him in terms of that pick on Groshans. But we saw him in the in the perfect yeah. game on San Diego. He had a, he had a really really nice swing and an inside pitch. I don't remember who it was from, but he popped Insane that off. Insane bat speed. Yeah, really Insane. good bat speed. He popped that home run. He was one of I think two or three guys they had a home run in that game. That was yeah. a really really loud piece too. If anyone remembers going back to that game and watching, I feel like I mentioned that in every other podcast because I enjoy watching it so much. But I, I'd say I'm neutral neutral to positive on the Groshans pick for Blue Jays. Yep. All right, all right. So that's the first super, superlative that we'll go through. Um, why don't we kick it back to sort of a bigger picture look at things? Sure. And that's what team do you felt had sort of the best draft? Um, and you could sort of attack it. Maybe you can go two from a fantasy angle, from a reality angle. You can mm-hmm. pick two different systems if you want. What system do you think had the best uh, 
had the best draft. Yeah, I'll combo it up on the fantasy and the reality side of things. I'm interested to see if, if one of these is yours because I don't see your list on our, our communal sheet here. So hopefully I'm not stealing yours, but maybe we'll just be in agreement on it. But my best reality draft, so real life one, I actually really like what the Royals did. And I know it's kind of odd because maybe their time frame is a little bit longer than some other teams, but they go with four college pitchers. They go Brady Singer at 18, Jackson Coar at 33, of what was his first name lynch from virginia i was just talking about him earlier jonathan lynch let me check that at 34 overall then they go chris bubik at 40 overall so they go four college pitchers whereas i think a lot of the people the buzz around everything the royals was gonna, were going to do initially was that they were going to go high school side maybe with a couple high school upside guys but instead they go to their weakness which i think everyone assumes is how they pick they get guys like ash russell in the past who just haven't kind of worked out um kyle zimmer brady zimmer's brother haven't hasn't really worked out in terms of their arm development on the on the high school side of things so they go college arms maybe some of these arms eventually turn into relievers i think that's the probably the the general feel with bubik at 40 overall which is completely fine that's the fourth guy this lynch we talked about a little bit in terms of just virginia's weird use of pitchers he's a really relatively divisive guy just in terms of how he was used and what the potential is for long term we talked about Coar a lot and singer singer and Coar were actually roommates it's very funny they both got drafted the same team singer's obviously a guy with the hyper production of his arm everyone thinks his arm's gonna explode maybe it doesn't maybe it does i can't say for certain i like that they got him at 18 as opposed to like the reds i think were rumored to take him around five or wherever they picked him at 18 i think it's a fine value this goes back to kind of them at clanahan play like i he's got a really good fastball slider he succeeded at a really high level in the college world series last year singer did i think this is a fine pick for them he's going to be signed probably aggressively he's a guy who wouldn't be stunned to see get up to like high a double a by the end of the year a guy like justin coar maybe there's a little more development there he's a change up first guy i don't think he activates his lower half really well the comp i brought up multiple times if you've ever listened to this podcast is michael waka just because he's change up first decent fastball um but there's just development needs to go on he's got a little bit more appealing of a frame than a guy like singer too i think singer's motion is really I, I don't know. I want to say maybe robotic. It almost rhythmic is maybe too positive of a term. It's very robotic, but maybe there's a reliever profile there. But I think that the ultimate thing, the reality side of thing here, is that if two of these guys aren't in the rotation by like 2021 ish, 2020, however you want to kind of time frame it out, I'd be pretty surprised. I think that they get guys like Coar and Lynch into this rotation. Maybe they try Singer out there and eventually bring him to the pen. I'm completely fine with that. I know it's in a, maybe they paid a little bit too much for a lifelong reliever, but a guy like Bubik, too. I saw him out in the Cape, actually. He's a lefty. Um, I think he's from Stanford. I might be wrong on that. I can check mm. it. But, um, I, I was I thought he looked really good. He decimated a lot of guys with Woodbat out there, and he looked solid in terms of the mix he had. A little bit funkier of a delivery again. So they draft some funky delivery guys that they have to work on. This puts the the, the pressure on their player development to see how they're able to kind of mitigate some of the injury risk I think a lot of these guys have. That's my reality team. My fantasy team is the Reds, actually. So I know this is a draft you liked a lot. I'm not sure if the one you picked. But no. they had India 8. <laughs> <laughs> they had India 8, Richardson 47, Josiah Gray 72 is an individual I like. They drafted him as a right-handed pitcher. He was a 2A D2 kid from Lemoyne College. I think that's up in actually New York. So a little northeast. They went up there. Brent Spillane who's an Illinois guy who just absolutely destroyed college baseball out in Illinois. Um, He was in the SEC. Unbelievable. Just overall what he was able to do. And then Mike Sinai, or I think it's Siani, actually. I, I, I always thought it was Sinai. It's, it's obviously Siani. Siani. So yeah. Siani, if he signs, he doesn't sign whatever on that end. But I think that four of guys on the fantasy side of things is really interesting with Josiah Gray and Spillane because Spillane is a guy who's a college bat. He's going to move quick. Don't know where the upside is on him, but he's a guy I doubt a lot of people are going to look at in first-year player drafts. I would keep an eye on him and see where he's going. You get in the fourth round of his first-year player draft. You look at a guy who's performed. I don't know if he's performed particularly well with Wood, but he's performed exceptionally well with metal against high-level pitching. Very appealing to me. A guy like Josiah Gray 
Gray is another one who's probably going to take some time to develop. He almost emulates a little bit of what, they, what they're going to do with Hunter Green, honestly. Like, obviously, very, very different on the talent side of things is, is Josiah sure. Gray. But Josiah Gray is really, really appealing to me. And then Richardson in India, obviously, we know about India. And Richardson's another arm who I think they could develop relatively well. He's a righty, um, kind of like Josiah Gray. Um, probably a little more on the upside side of things. I think that was actually maybe even an over-aggressive pick for them there at 47. But uh, those are my two teams. Um, I'm interested, particularly on the Reds, mainly because I think that I wanted to leave you guys with some interesting on Spillane, um, Siani, if he signs, Josiah Gray, with some guys later in the first-year player draft that might be a little more intriguing on the fantasy side of things, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about. So that's why I kind of classify them as the best draft for fantasy. What say you, Ralph? What do you, what's your team? All right. Now? So I'm going to start off with the best draft for fantasy just to switch things up a little bit and sort of keep it on the fantasy angle. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Angels, who just continue to add really exciting players to their system. I love their first uh, three to four picks. So if you look at Jordan Adams, we've talked about you know the all-around game that he has, the elite athlete that he is. Uh, you know we're talking about power. Um, you know his speed is explosive. I think you know he's an 80 runner, can play you know in the middle of the field, you know in the outfield, and uh, you know he's one of these guys now that he's committed to baseball and he's in this system that seems like they're able to take sort of mentor these athletes and turn them into. Uh, better players. He's got Joe Adele, you know, uh, Jemai Jones, Brandon Marsh, of course, Mike Trout and, and Shohei Otani in the major league level. All these really super exciting players. They just added possibly one of the most gifted uh, all around sort of athletes, fantasy prospects in this draft in Jordan Adams in the first round. They followed that up with uh, Jeremiah Jackson. There's another, you know, really good high school prep prep bat, um, you know, Good field to hit. I think there's not plus power, but maybe above average power. He can sort of develop with that bat speed, with sort of the raw strength that he has, kind of a wiry kit. Uh, but I think he can stick at shortstop. He's not a great runner, uh, but not like, you know, not flat-footed or slow or anything like that. And he can sort of get going on the base pass. But you know, I wouldn't put him at anything more than an average runner at this point. But I think the fact that he's a middle infielder with field to hit, a little bit of power projection, and the ability to maybe stick there, that plays up a little bit in the second round as well. And the third pick that I really liked a lot, and I don't know if you have anything to say about him, but Texas A&M righty, uh, Aaron Hernandez. The more that I watched of him, no, not that Aaron Hernandez. Uh, <laughs> he's a small righty, so you know I love him. But uh, the more I watch him, I really like this kid. I mean, when he ramps up the fastball, he can hit 96, 97. I think he's even popped the gun at 98 before. But he's three good secondaries, like legitimate three good secondaries. He's got a mid-80s slider. Uh, he's got a low-80s curveball. And then he's got a changeup that I think tumbles a little bit. And I think it might be my favorite pitch of the bunch. Uh, their fourth round pick is uh, Kyle Brandish out of uh, New Mexico, who's another decent arm, uh, you know, big curveball, uh, and has a decent fastball that he can ramp up into the mid 90s as well. So I thought two good arms there that maybe had some projection from the college side, you know, interesting arsenals that had some velocity in the fastball. And then, you know, a middle infielder that can hit and then a big athlete. And I, I didn't dig in, I won't dig in any deeper than that. We're sort of just talk the first, you know, three, four picks on each of these teams. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add on the Angels or what your thoughts were there, but uh, are you rethinking your, your pick of uh, the top fantasy team? No, no, I think uh, I, I like what the Angels have a lot. I think there's a case that can be made for a ton of teams here. Obviously, you're going to probably sure. front load to some of the teams that had earlier picks with guys yeah, like, like Magical and Boom. Like Philadelphia, like, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, you got Boom there, of course. But I think it's just more interesting, especially when you guys like Jeremy Jackson, Jeremiah Jackson. Yeah, I think he actually had a hit, and uh, you know, I'm bringing this up again. It's unbelievable. The perfect game last year with, with guys like Kalenic, events really, really good pitching, too, as well. A lot of the high school runners we saw get drafted or maybe didn't get drafted, guys like Kumar Rocker, who's a 
probably going to go to Vandy and not sign and end up being a top 10 pick next year, I would project already, to looking ahead to 2019. But, yeah, I like Jermaine Jackson. I can't say no much about Aaron Hernandez, actually, but the Jordan Adams pick on the finishes, I think, he's going to be a very, very intriguing Check. guy. Check out Hernandez. If you can dig through some video there, he's he, like I tell you, I think you're going to you're going to come away impressed that you okay. you probably really I'm like excited. this kid. Yeah, check check him out. Um, and I would say the White Sox are probably like my runner up too. Oh, nice. um, you know, Mandrigal, yeah. Steel, Steely Walker at the beginning there. That's a good combination. And they got, you know, uh, uh, Pilkington, who's a lefty out of Mississippi State. Not a bad pick. But, you know, for real, real life wise, I, I got to give. I got to give some love to where my mother-in-law lives, where I go on vacation every year. That'd be the Tampa Bay Rays. I, I think that similar approach to the Royals, but I, I think they did it better. I mean, I love the fact Matthew Libertor at 16 is a great deal. Obviously, they they have a bigger bonus pool than anybody else. They're probably able to draw him down the bonus a little bit. I'm sure he had a high number to meet. Hopefully, his signs are good to go. You know, we know all the stuff we know about Libertor. You know, one of the best you know, pitching prospects in this draft. Um, Shane McClellahan. You know, obviously in the comp round, really good yeah. pick. As we said, we don't love him as a, t- a top 10 pick, but we really like him as uh, a comp round pick. And they got maybe two of the better right lefties in this entire Absolutely. draft. Uh, Nick Schnell, who I think is an is a very interesting player. You know, he's got a future in center field. Another another prep kid, I think, from uh, from Indiana, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, solid bat speed. I think he can develop some decent power, some field to hit. He's got plus speed at the moment, so he's kind of an interesting player. Uh, Tyler Frank and a guy that they a shortstop that they got from uh, Florida Atlantic. I can't say that I know a ton about him. I did take a, a look at some of the swings. I know he's in the U.S. national team, um, and he had some pedigree. And I'm, I'm I'm figuring the way that uh, the race scout they probably had a good idea who he was. Then they got Tanner Dodson, who I know some people were pretty high on. Uh, I think in the second compository round, that was an interesting pick. So they got a lot of guys. I think if you look sort of, you know, down the line, even a guy like, you know, Grant Witherspoon from Tulane had some hype. I know he was ranked well within the top uh, 200, you know, even somewhere around the top 100 on some of these draft ranking uh, boards. And then you got another guy who's a top 200 prospect in uh, a Georgia righty, uh, Taj. Bradley, who I can't say I know a whole lot about other than the scouting reports that I've seen, but you know, they've got a bunch of guys here. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight picks. They were all considered top 200 picks coming into the draft, including two guys that at certain points in the draft season were probably considered top 10 picks, both pitchers. I think that's a great way for a small market team to build. And we know that the Rays have done a good job sort of developing their talent over the years, as long as they don't break their elbows. Like, Brett Honeywell, but <laughs> what do you think about about Tampa Bay as the best real life draft? I well, think there's a case actually, that should be made. You actually segue to like almost everything. So your your follow up to the Reds was quickly that you like the White Sox draft. I actually thought as my biggest value, I had Steely Walker in there. He's an individual I like a lot. He played with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, <laughs> plus hit tool, plus run, or not? Excuse me, it's more like average hit tool plus run. Um, I think that he fell a little bit. He went 46 overall in the second round, past the comp rounds. I thought he was going to go a little bit, a little bit earlier. I think there was some buzz that he was going to end up possibly in the uh, in the comp rounds there, but he obviously fell a little bit more. Went to the White Sox. I like that pick a lot. I think that's great, great value in terms of him. He was one of the guys that I liked a bit in terms of that combination of guys like. Uh, Excuse me, like Steely Walker, like uh, Connor Scott later, who obviously went early, and I don't like the value of 
personally. But then you also segued into my best landing spot for fantasy is actually two guys. One was actually Tanner Dotson. I thought I wanted to go off the board a little bit here, but you did mention him briefly. He's a Cal two-way player. They specifically said, I know it doesn't say this on OB Tracker, but they specifically said when they drafted him, he is a two-way player. They selected him as a two-way player, which is very, very intriguing in terms of the development, specifically because if they want to use him in this weird reliever mold they're doing, he, I believe, served as Cal's closer, and he throws two breaking balls, slider, curveball, and a changeup. Um, he sits, I believe, mid-90s. I think a lot of people like him off the mound a little bit more, but he was able to hit relatively well. It wasn't a liability in that sense. So, And I think this is the, particularly the best landing spot for fantasy for two reasons. One, because if he eventually gets into this mold, he could be relatively interesting in that weird kind of... And I know this is probably weird for fantasy, guys like Sergio Romo who are starting games, but maybe that's how he works out a little bit more. But the fact is also that they might actually play him out as a two-way guy, which is what we've seen with McKay. I think that specifically that is very, very intriguing on the fantasy side of things, especially in daily leagues. If down the road we get a lot more guys like this, and the Rays seem to be a little bit forward-thinking in terms of this two-way idea. So I really like what they did with Tanner Dotson in that pick. That's another guy I'm, I might target a couple times in some late first-year player drafts, later in rounds. And then another pick that actually goes back to uh, what we were talking about with some of the high school guys, um, I'm common one of my best landing spot for fantasies here but it's actually adam kloffenstein who is a pitcher that was actually uh, turned on to me by an individual named kevin black who works with baseball info solutions he's a good friend of mine and we actually saw hartford yard goats game i know you know him and you met him he's a huge razzball guy so i gotta shout, shout out. out yeah he's the man he's a really cool kid he, he's really really smart on the baseball side of things he's a, seen a ton of ball he actually turned me on to kloffenstein kloffenstein arm action watch him from behind eerily reminiscent of a guy like trevor bauer so trevor bauer one of the things that he's learned from driveline and that i know he's talked about in videos is his arm path and it not being so hyper extended from his body and basically imagine like someone's torso and then their arm if the arm is super hyper extended there's obviously a little more stress on the elbow what bauer preaches is staying very very centered towards the plate staying on the path of the plate and having that arm not extend all the way around the body but through the body with the torso's motion so it's almost shortening his arm action but he's been really really successful with his curveball in particular and i know he's brought in that slider this year bauer but this applies to Kloffenstein particularly because Kloffenstein is a really nice curveball that I actually think looks a little bit like Bowers, and that's played up a little bit more. I think they tinkered with it. He's a Texas commit. I'm not 100% sure if he's going to sign, but if he signs, I really, really like this kid as a later pick. I think he's probably my favorite one outside of the top three rounds, I would say. I think he went fourth round. Um, no, he went third round. Third round, 88 He was overall. third round, yeah. So 88 overall on, on Kloffenstein here. But I think he went actually the pick, the pick before Pompeii, which I wonder oh, wow. if that pissed I wonder if that pissed off some Canadians. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's funny. But no, Klovenstein, again, and this also goes back to the track record the Blue Jays have with some of these high school arms and some of arms in general in terms of how they've drafted in the, last, in the past. They've done pretty, pretty successful with that. I'm not sure on the consistency of their uh, lead scouting guys in terms of who also made this decision, so that might be a little bit off base. But Klovenstein's probably one of the arms that I like outside. I guess we'll say outside of the top 75 in the draft. I like Klovenstein a lot. So Tanner Dotson and Klovenstein are two names to keep an eye on in late first two player drafts. Sure. So for best value for me, uh, I had to kick around a couple different guys. I, I you know, I, I thought about maybe going with Nolan Gorman, dropping down a 19 yeah. to your mm-hmm. Cardinals. And just because it's the Cardinals, you know, yes. maybe that's one of the better landing spots. So I considered him there too, but unfortunately he did not win either superlative. My runner up for best value, uh, was Trevor Larnock, who I, I like I said, once again, I really like this kid. We've, we talked about him earlier on. I think he was one of the more underrated players in this draft. He's really made some improvements, made some some swing adjustments this year. And now he's really 
added power into his game from the left side, and uh, that will play up his profile. He can't stick into the outfield, I think, long-term as well. The guy I think is the best value was a top 10 pick for myself in the last show. That'd be the 29th overall pick in Noah Naylor. I know a big uh, <laughs> uh, a, a point of, of, of debate and, and enthusiasm over on the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. So uh, big shots to you yeah. guys for convincing me to love Noah Naylor. And I do love this kid. <laughs> he looks nothing like his brother in terms of the physical. I think I maybe even jiffed him up today in my article. But yeah, I had to give Naylor... Uh, as probably the best value in that in uh, the first few rounds, I, th- I thought, you know, they got a player there. If they can develop him behind the plate even better. Uh, he's a really interesting one. As for the best fantasy landing spot, it's a tough one. right? You know, it is a tough one. And I, I, I really is it a cop out if I say Jonathan India? Go for it. I know you like him. You got to talk about it. Come on, go for it. You know, I think it's between Alec Baum and, like, Jonathan India. I mean, like, you know, both of these guys should move relatively fast, and, and, and they're in organizations where they have great home ballparks to hit in. I mean, Alec Baum is going to be able to hit in the best yeah. home run ballpark per 2017 based on park factors. Now, Baum gets to call that home. So and he should be a guy that moves pretty quickly. I guess the question is, where is he going to play? And I'm kind of split between him and India because I think they're both bats that are going to play up in their home ballparks. College guys, uh, obviously only two picks separated them, sort of the same position. I think India probably has more of a future at third base, uh, of course, than Bohm does. But I'm going to cop out and I'm going to go with, with more or less two top ten picks as the best fantasy landing spot um i don't know if that makes me a douchebag or not no i don't like it don't <laughs> worry no, no that's good i think it, you got a case for both of them especially in terms or of grant levine grant levine new hampshire power hitting left-handed high school first baseman but left-handed high school first baseman i don't know how much i i buy into the high school yeah. first baseman high school first baseman um, out of bedford high school too so it's not even like went to like tilson or one of those like fancy prep schools i think he went to like a normal like plain jane high school but hey he landed in colorado so i guess there's a good spot uh start uh landing spot there um do we have any superlatives you wanted to go through or can i ask you the last question before we wrap up um ask me the last question let's wrap up yeah i don't think we had any more did we we had worst landing, landing spot, spot maybe. I, I Man, that was a tough one. one. I just went right yeah, off because it's Grayson Rodriguez. Right? <laughs> Grayson uh, Rodriguez. There you go. There's two pitchers. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> um, what do you think about Carter Stewart at eight? And oh, you, where yeah. does he rank for you? The Braves <clears throat> pitching hierarchy. This is very interesting. I actually haven't thought about where he ranks. I like Carter Stewart a lot personally. And this is one of the prep arms that I think me and you are very, very high on in terms of just the overall pedigree around him. I, think I don't that, even care that he's a. I don't even care that he's a top ten righty first baseman. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, no. righty, uh, yeah, righty uh, pitching prospects. It Those just don't seems do like well. I. The other thing I've been thinking of too, and this might be terrible, just because I'm trying to convince myself of how many high school arms went in this draft and how many of them are very appealing, just for first year player drafts and just in general. But I wonder, and I know this was said by Kyle Body too, actually is the CEO of Driveline, but he actually thought that the high school crop of starting pitchers was better than the college crop. And in just pure talent side too, which yeah. is like, and maybe quantity side you could agree, but the the talent side and the like the quality side of things is something that I just didn't really think about too much. And it came around. I started thinking on it and festering on it. And this goes back to two guys like Libertor and Carter Stewart, where I think the floors on both of those guys are really high. I think that essentially they're they're basically as, and I know this goes back like this is going to be pushed back against, but they they seem almost as stable in terms of like the combination of upside and floor as guys like. 
like Shane McClanahan, where we know that there's concerns there. We know there's concerns mechanically. We know that there's a chance he gets to the pen as a hard-throwing lefty. But, you know, what's really the difference in terms of the risk, aside from just pure track record, aside from historical track record on guys like Libertor and guys like Carter Stewart, where they Carter Stewart has an unbelievable breaking ball that's shown 60, that people think is already above average at the major league level, that people think has been working on a changeup This hasn't really had the need to throw it at all. If he's in the minor leagues and sitting around Rome and some other levels of the Brave system in the next year or two, that's purely, I bet, because they're trying to hone that changeup. And then eventually the product, if you have that good of a changeup with a high, high 90s fastball, he's above 95 on his average velocity. I really hope he can sustain that, plus the changeup. He turn him into basically uh, you know, a really nice high floor pitcher. He's not going to have too many major split issues. I think that curveball play up to both sides of the plate really well. Then you go to a guy like Libertor where he's really stable. He's not like a lot of other lefty high schoolers we've seen. I know the track record on, on high school raises has probably been a little bit worse, but high school lefty like him, everyone raves about the pitchability around him. So I, I really like that pick. In terms of ranking him among the other guys, that's tough. I mean, I think I got to go with all the guys who are probably double A or higher, just based on pure track record and well, just of remove, general Remove Soroka and Gohara. So I'll give you the names. Okay. Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, Colby Allard. Uh, we'll remove Max Free. We don't have to have Max Free. So those three, I'm going to say, are already above Carter Stewart. Would you agree? The three you just mentioned minus Max Free. No, I want Ooh. Carter Stewart. I I actually don't like Kyle Wright. Okay. I, I've okay. decided. I've that. always had a side for uh, you know what, man. Friend. You know what, man? He's just he's he's pretty good, but he's not great. He's just kind of like I agree with a mid rotation guy. He was way too hyped. Like even when I watch him now, I'm like, yeah. The Vandy guy. So you give me, the tracker. Give me on Ian that. Anderson. Give me Ian Anderson, like Anderson over him. Give me a lard yep. over him. Yep. Um, and I'll take Bryce Wilson over him too. Ooh, and so okay. I would probably I would probably would list it out as a lard, Anderson, Stewart, Wilson, and then Wright. Then yeah, right. I think we flip it around. And then I would have Wentz, and then I would be probably Tucson and Wentz would be pretty close for me. Man, this is tough. I'm trying to do this off the cuff. I'd say, I'd say Carter Stewart would fall below Kyle Wright for me, and that just goes back again to just the recency, inter- or excuse me, the proximity. I think that that's the biggest thing. It's like I value okay. that a lot on the pitching side of things. So I think I'd sure. lean a guy like I'd lean. I personally like Ian Anderson a lot, so I'll put him above. I'll put Kyle Wright above just purely on that side I'm talking about with regards to proximity. I'd have trouble putting him below Bryce Wilson, so I agree with you on that. Joey Wentz might be the line for me. That's a tough one. I might have to think about that one a lot because I personally really like Joey Wentz from the left side in terms of the velocity he shows and how sharp his breaking balls are. So, hmm, that's tough. That's a tough one. I think I'd have him right there, so I think I'd have him fourth in the system. But I'll, I'll qualify that by saying he can jump very, very quickly if he performs and he turns into a guy that most people are looking at, almost like a Mackenzie Gore style, where the performance is legit off the bat and everyone starts to buy in. I could see him jumping up, and I'd, I'd probably have no problem jumping him over a guy like Kyle Wright if Kyle Wright just continues to post not the most appealing strikeout numbers in, in double yeah. and such. So, I think he's good, not for great. Now, you know, I agree. I agree. Where I, think, I think Carter Stewart can be great. He's got that plus pitcher ready. He already can you know get into the upper registers. That's a really good exercise, you know, though. Fun question. And it's just... Yeah, I don't know. I was kicking around the other day. So there you go. I think I think that sort of wraps up our uh, draft show. The five by five was really good this week. I think sort of some interesting players. You get some funky, uh, interesting names and yeah, a little yeah. little draft game with a couple of deeper guys, too. And uh, there you go. So another week on the Rasball Prospect podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Prospect Jesus. Obviously post on Rasball on uh, Thursdays and Sunday mornings. Got the baseball show over on Fan Tracks with Andy Singleton and the other podcast that I do with Gray. I was joking around between the uh, 
the, 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 the draft special on Monday, the podcast they record with Gray on Monday, the baseball show with yeah. Andy yesterday, the, the article I wrote, and then this. I've done like five things in like the last like four days. <laughs> love it. Draft season, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to love it. I, I love it. I'm, I'm like my brain was exploding. Yeah. College baseball. I got, you know, I felt the uh, same way. I tried to keep up with the major league MLB draft. Like, yeah, MLB has definitely been the one that's fallen by the wayside in the last (laughs) week or two. You know, I'm just checking my, my teams. I'm crazy busy at work, but anyway, Lance, tell the people who you are. I I am Lance. Uh, I'm at Lance Brosdo on Twitter. You can check me out. I've, I've generally funneled everything through there. Um, uh, you know, Ralph is miming to me that we forgot the RotoWare plug. So we're gonna have to plug that in earlier. So this is post mortem here. But regardless, um, <laughs> big3sports.com. Um, Twitter is really where I get everything through. Running for Viva Alberto. So I did a really cool piece on two of the Cardinals picks. Luke and Baker, who's this massive TCU first baseman righty who everyone thinks is probably not really gonna, shouldn't have been drafted by the NL team because he's probably an AL guy. And then Mateo Gill, who's kind of like this, this fringe kind of bat shortstop, but he's a high schooler. Not a lot of people ranked him at all. He actually is committed to TCU as well, but I think there's a really interesting chance that he signs. His mom is actually interacting with me on Twitter, which was really funny, and she actually sent me a picture of Mateo Gill, and I found out that he's actually an inch taller and about 15 pounds heavier than it says on his MLB draft tracker. He's like 6'1", 180, and in person, like you see the picture of Mateo Gill, and he's like 6'2", 190 now. Kid's grown real quick. I'm really interested to see if the Cardinals can sign him. They went really aggressive on that pick. I think he was their fourth um, fourth round pick, I want to say. But Vivo Alberto's Big 3 Sports, a um, bunch of other stuff. Two-Strike Approach Baseball Podcast, still doing pitcher thoughts with that. I'll be on some travels too, actually. Um, so... Um, next podcast, we might, we might actually be recapping. I might get some live looks at Lexington and Prado and some of these other guys. So I'm really excited for that. But otherwise, uh, Rise Ball every Monday too. So check us out. Any parting words, last words, Ralph? No, let's go do, uh, let's yeah, go do Road Aware. <laughs> Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>